This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Hey, good morning, everybody. So excited to spend today with you as we wrap up our series, Everybody Always. If you're a guest, my name is Kevin. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm excited to guide you today. Uh, Oh, is it this? Is it this? Well, I've been thinking about something recently. I've been realizing that in our culture, we crave two things. We crave security and safety, and we crave comfort. I mean, think about it. 50 years ago, we didn't lock our houses. 30 years ago, we started locking our houses. 20 years ago, we started locking our houses and our cars. Now we lock our houses, our cars, our phones, our computers. We lock everything. We would lock our clothes on us if we could. By the way, I'm starting a new series next week called The New Rules of Sex, Love, and Dating, which you're not going to want to miss. I don't know why that came up. I just want to throw that out there. We crave... We crave safety. And what's more safe than a helmet? I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I don't have thick heads of hair to protect my head like you do. So I, I, need, to wear, I need to wear my helmet to keep myself safe. And we crave comfort in our society. I mean, we crave it. Think about it. We want, we want a comfortable house. We want a comfortable bed. We want a bed that adjusts to my side and her side. We want a comfortable retirement plan. We want comfortable savings. We want, we want comfort. We even have comfort food. We love comfort. And what's more comfortable than pillows? My goodness. These are my pillows, by the way. I don't ever want to get out of bed. I love pillows. They're so comfortable. So I thought what I would do this morning is I would just wear on the outside what our culture tells us we ultimately want. We want, we want safety. We want comfort. But the problem is, this looks ridiculous. <laughs> and we know this to be true. Whether you're a person of faith or not, we know this to be true, that growth usually happens in life when we move just outside of our comfort zones. My little man Landon is going into second grade, and so I asked him yesterday, buddy, how are you feeling about going into school? And Landon looked at me and he said, man, I'm a little bit nervous. And I said, why? He said, well, the homework's going to be really hard. And the truth is, the homework is going to be harder because he's stepping just outside of his comfort zone. Now, he could stay in first grade forever, and he would kill it at Magic Treehouse Books. I mean, kill it. But he'd never learn fractions. Shoot, I never learned fractions. He'd never learn fractions. He'd never learn his multiplication tables. He'd have his addition and subtraction up to 20 like nobody's business. But in order to grow academically, you need to take the next step and go just outside of your comfort zone. My daughter Maddie's playing soccer, and she moved from under 10 to under 12 girls. And she doesn't turn 10 until the last week of the season. So she's a good two and a half years younger than most of the kids on her team. And on the first practice, I said to her, Maddie, how are you feeling about soccer? She said, well, I'm nervous. I said, well, why are you nervous? Because I'm the youngest one on the team. And what if I'm not, what if I'm not one of the best? I said, well, the truth is you probably won't be one of the best. But in order to grow in sports, you need to challenge yourself against players that are a little better. You need to step out of your comfort zone. I mean, think about it. She could stay in under 10 girls forever. As an 18-year-old and a 20-year-old, she would kill it against eight and nine-year-olds, but she would never achieve what she could. Think about your work worlds. That moment when you get comfortable, 
when you think, I've got it figured out, I know what I'm doing, everything's fine. At that moment, you cease to grow. Think about your parenting. The moment you think, I got it figured out, no problem, your kid turns 11. (laughs) And then you have the opportunity to grow. And the same is true when it comes to our, our faith in God. Because while our world craves comfort, and I'm sorry, this is so hot, I need to take it off. While our world craves comfort, comfortable people do not need Jesus. They just don't. Look at the stories of Jesus' biographies in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Comfortable people might be amused by Jesus. They might like Jesus. They might want to come to hear what he has to say from time to time. But you never see comfortable people falling at the feet of Jesus, do you? Because comfortable people do not need Jesus. Desperate people need Jesus. And today I want to talk about what it looks like to love in such a, an outside-of-our-comfort-zone way. Individually and corporately as a community. In such a way that it drives us to need Jesus. Because... If you've been following Jesus for any period of time, and it's anything other than an exciting adventure with God, I'd like to suggest to you that you might not be doing it right. Because as we look through the pages of the Bible, as we look at the people who we, man, we strive, I'd like to do it like they do it. They all have certain things in common. They are uncomfortable for the sake of loving people and encountering God. And if you want your journey with Jesus, no matter where you're starting today, to take a step towards growth, you might have to get a little less comfortable. And the great thing is, every single one of us can take some steps. It doesn't matter if it's your first time at church and you never thought you'd find yourself sitting in a church. You could take a step today that would draw you a little bit closer to who we believe is a perfect, loving, powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing Heavenly Father, who's both strong enough to protect and close enough to wrap you in his arms. So what I want to do as we wrap up this Everybody Always series, exploring what it looks like to love everybody always, is I'd like to talk about a few of my wishes for you. If I could wish certain things for you, these are some of them. And I want to tell you, I'm going to spend a disproportionately long amount of time on the first one. So if we get to the end of the first one, and you think, oh my goodness, there's only 12 minutes left in the service, don't worry, it's only (laughs) preseason. And I promise we'll move forward. So the first thing I wish for you, if if I could dream on behalf of you, I wish for you a courageous act of obedience to Jesus, that costs you something. I wish for you at some point in your life, not all the time, not even every year, but maybe a couple points in your life that you sense the quiet, inaudible presence of God nudging you to take a step of obedience that would cost you something. Because it's in those moments that we take a step when we don't know what the outcome's going to be. When we don't have the roadmap laid out for us, it's in those moments that, that we look at God and we say, now 
I need you. I wish for you a time when you sense God saying to you, I want you to do this thing. I want you to switch careers. I want you, I want you to sell your house and downsize and find something great to do with all that extra money that you have. I wish for you at some point in your journey that you would sense God nudging you to say, it's time for you to step outside of your country of origin and experience life globally. It's time for you to serve the least, the lost, the last, those who are forgotten by our community. I wish for you at some point that God would disrupt your life in such a way. And by the way, this might not be your wish for you because we like comfortable. But I wish for you at some point in your life that God would say, volunteer, give your life away, serve like your life depended on it, but serve in the way that only God can do it. Because when you do that, do you know what you will be in that moment? You will be, and this is a very churchy phrase, so if you're brand new, I just want to tell you, you don't know this yet, but if you're in church for a long time, somehow this creeps into your vocabulary. You will be a deep Christian. I have people say to me, and maybe you've experienced this before, you go to a church service and, and it's really confusing. Maybe you had this as a kid. You walked into church, there was a lot of standing, a lot of kneeling. They were speaking in languages you didn't understand. And then the pastor or priest said something, and you thought, that is so confusing. And you walked out thinking, that's so confusing. And the person next to you said, that's so deep. You thought, oh, I thought that was just confusing. No, 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 that's, that's deep. Friends, that's not deep. I have people come to me sometimes, and they say, Kevin, Pastor Kevin, because whenever they're going to criticize me, they always use my title, Pastor Kevin. You really, you're good, you're entertaining, it's, it's, it's funny and it's practical, but uh, I wish you could get a little deeper. You know what, I take that as a compliment. Because what they mean is I wish you were a little more confusing. Give me some more Hebrew, give me some more Greek, help me feel like I learned something even though I'm going to forget it in an hour. I need you to be deep. Here's the thing about deep. You know what deep is? Deep is when you can't touch the bottom That's what deep is. Deep is not standing on the side of the lake, reading books about the depth of the lake. Deep is getting onto a boat, going into the lake, diving into the water, not touching the bottom, assuming there are carp so big that you could go noodling. That's deep. I love the way Jesus went about this. Jesus did not say to people, come and sit and take notes. Jesus said to people, come and follow me and I will show you what it looks like to live the life that you know deep in your gut you were made to live. Deep is when you can't touch the bottom. Deep is obedience to Jesus when there's no guaranteed outcome. That's deep. Deep is all about faith. And I'm trying to help us re-understand this idea of faith because faith is not something that I believe. That's not faith. Faith is not, I believe it, so it must happen. That's called magic. Faith is, I'm going to trust God enough to try what God is saying. Faith is when we we sense that small, inaudible voice of God as we read that book or have that conversation or hear that message or listen to that podcast, and that voice says, it's time for you to go. And we say, but I don't know where I'm going, and I don't know how deep it is. And God says, I want you to go anyway, trusting 
That in the twists and turns, the ups and downs, I am with you in the moment, and so you try. That, friends, is deep. And when you do that, here's the best part. Your faith, it comes alive. When you do that, no one has to tell you, you should read your Bible. You're like, of course I'm going to read my Bible. The Bible is full of stories of women and men who tried, who were frail, who failed, who succeeded, and who God walked with on the journey. I need the encouragement. I need to look at them and say, ooh, if they can do it, I can do it. I need to look at them and say, they failed and got up, and I can fail and get up. No one needs to tell you to read your Bible because you're deep. No one needs to tell you to pray. My goodness, when you take a step of obedience and you don't know the outcome, you pray, God, help God, please, God, show up. Because if you don't show up, I'm going to sink. And the carp are big. Friends, that's deep. Deep says, I know. And so I got to go. Because sometimes you just know. You just know. You read something and you knew. You heard something and you knew. You prayed, you sensed the nudge, and you knew. And when you know, you got to go. And here's the thing. If we miss too many of these moments, then our faith becomes flat and stale. And we come into church and we sit like spiritual consumers instead of spiritual contributors. If you've ever sat in church and You heard the communicator share, and you thought, yeah, I know. David kills Goliath, I know. Yeah, David and Bathsheba, I know. Jesus rose again, I know. Like, so? It could be that you've missed the whisper, or you sensed it, and you didn't go. And you're standing on the shoreline saying, why aren't we deep? And God's saying, get in the boat, dive in the water, and then you'll be deep. I remember where I was eight years ago. I took a week to fast, and if you're new to a journey with God, fasting is simply a time when you abstain. I abstained from food for a week in order to reorient my dependence on God, that just like my body is dependent on food, my spiritual self is dependent on God. And I really wanted to hear from God, what's next? What's next? And so I took this week to fast, and I was walking one day in Roner Park. I lived up there off Country Club. I was walking towards the golf course, and I said, God, what's next? And I sensed God nudge me and say this, pretty soon you're going to move into the lead pastor role. And I was 29. And I was terrified. And the next thing God whispered to me was, don't push it. I will set it up in my time. And I went home and I said to Maria, what does that even mean? She said, it means get ready. Get ready. Two and a half years later, I became the lead pastor of our church some four and a half years ago. And I can tell you, I woke up the next morning and I was a deeper Jesus follower because of it. And here's what I mean by that. I was scared spitless. I said, God, what were you thinking? What am I going to do? I had two thoughts. What am I going to do if they show up? What am I going to do if they don't show up? Both are equally terrifying. 
But when you know, you got to go. And that's deep. I love the way Jesus, he invites some people to the invitation of a lifetime. He's walking down the road with his homies and he says, he walks up to this guy and he says, follow me. This is the invitation of a lifetime. Follow me. He didn't say, sit down and take some notes. He said, follow me. But the guy replied to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And I don't have time to get into all the nuance of it, but needless to say, his dad wasn't even dead yet. Because in that time, you didn't wait three weeks or four weeks to bury the dead. The dead weren't refrigerated. The dead started to smell. You buried them immediately. Here's what he was saying to Jesus. Jesus, can you you just give me some time? I got a lot going on right now. The kids are in sports and business is tough and the marriage, man, we're like in the throes of it. Can you just give me some time before I follow you? And Jesus replied to him in a way that's going to seem harsh, and it seems harsher in our time than it did in theirs. I just want to, but it's not, It's not soft. Jesus said this, let the dead bury their own dead. Now, does he mean we shouldn't care about our family? No, no. Jesus was big on family, son of God, big on family. (laughs) What he's saying was, listen, you have one and only one shot at this life. One. Don't waste it. Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And this phrase is so packed. Proclaim the reality that God has come near, that the peace of God is pervading this world that seems so painful and broken. Proclaim the kingdom. And this guy walked away. You want to know what this guy's name was? Too bad. You'll never know what his name was because he walked away. So this other dude comes up to him, and he says this. Hey, I don't know about that guy. That guy's a chump. He's a joker. I don't know. It's crazy. I'll follow you, but first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. You know what his name was? Neither do I. Because he heard from God to take a step. And he didn't. When you know, you gotta go. And this is happening all over our church, friends. I got a buddy named Gus. Gus is awesome. Not only does he love 90s hip-hop like I do, and we are kindred spirits who text songs back and forth to each other. Gus was a high school counselor in a different county making good money. And Gus sensed the nudge from God to leave that job, to go to a lower-paying counseling job at Santa Rosa Junior College to work with at-risk youth and at-risk young adults. And I asked him, what's it been like? He said, for the first time ever, maybe, man, I I was really, really praying about this decision because it's terrifying. Because when you have a family and three young kids to take a high-paying job and move to a lower-paying job is scary. And you know what you need in that moment? You need God to show up. Gus does not know the outcome of that choice. He took the job. He's doing the job. He doesn't know what God's going to do in the process, but Gus is deep. I've got a friend named Gina. Gina moved back here a couple years ago from Colorado with her family and her 
her aging mother was getting sick, and they had a, a checkered relationship, a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. And Gina sensed from God, I'm inviting you to be the one to care for your mother. In a time when retirement and vacation and everything was, was moving in this direction, I want you to stop and care for your mom. Gina's mom passed away two weeks ago. And Gina, because we're in life group together, by the way, community group, we're in a community group together, we share life. She sent me a little bit of her journal, and I want to read it to you with her permission. She said, This tending is deeply personal, and my mother is so incredibly vulnerable and weak. I never thought that I would be willing or able to offer this depth of care, but to bring another but to, but to bring anything other than this surrendered kindness would be unthinkable. I'm here for this reason, and it requires my presence, my patience, and my gentleness. Many hours have passed for all of us. She wrote this, by the way, the day after her mom passed away. Many hours have passed for all of us in this chair beside the bed. It means looking into roomy eyes that are virtually unseeing, Embracing the holy privilege of being alongside as death approaches. Whispering words of love, gratitude, and release. We are committed to walking right up to the precipice with her. I remind her of her dream, that she has said she is not afraid to leap off of the mountain, and that Jesus will be with her. She goes on to say, when we moved back here to California... I could not have known all that God would do in my own heart to prepare me, not only for the death of my mother, but to care for her well in the months leading up to it. Not just to care, but to care well. Jesus freed my heart to love her in ways that surprised and amazed me, that pushed me so outside of my comfort zone that the person I became in the midst of it was a better version of myself. The redemptive work of God in the heart of this wounded woman, and she's talking to her about herself, the heart of this wounded woman, to be his heart and hands to the wounded woman who gave me birth. Wowzers. I would not have had the courage to write that story into our lives. Oh, the wisdom of God and the enormous grace he pours out on our behalf. I have a, a couple of friends who I'm going to talk in a little bit about our engaged generosity uh, journey that we're on. A couple of friends came to me as we were preparing to make commitments for this two-year generosity journey, and they said, uh, we want to make this gift, and they gave me a number. It was the single largest gift that New Life had ever received. I was blown away. And then about three days before we all made our commitments— they came to me and they said, God has told us to double it, which represented one quarter of their cash on hand as a family. And when my friend first told me, I said, well, he said, God told me to increase it. And I said, well, do you want to tell me how much he said? <laughs> he said, um, heck no, you're the pastor. And I said, that seems fair. That seems fair. You can just talk about it with God and tell me later. It, let me say this. That couple, 
they want this church to succeed because they've committed themselves, not knowing they could have been set up for life and they chose not to be because God said go. And when you know you got to go, what do I wish for you? I wish for you that at some point, at a few points in your life, you would sense God nudging you to take a step outside of your comfort zone in a costly act of faith. Because I'm telling you, God will grow you in that. My second wish for you is the thrill of knowing that you were instrumental in someone else's decision to follow Jesus. Oh, I wish this for you. I remember when I was in high school and I really started following Jesus. It was through this amazing organization called Young Life. By the way, New Life, because of your generosity, is a huge contributor to getting Young Life in Petaluma and Sonoma County right now. We are working hard because Young Life really matters. Young Life gets people onto campuses to meet high school and junior high students where they are. And there were two guys, Austin and Forrest. Forrest was the wrestling coach. Austin drove a Jeep Wrangler. So cool. And they invested in me, and they formed friendships with me, and they took me to Del Taco. And you only know the joy of that if you're from Southern California. And when I tell my story of finding Jesus, 22 years later, Austin and Forrest's names are rooted in that story. I wish for you that when someone gets baptized, when someone makes a first step, a second step, a third step, your name would be associated with God's work in their life. And we're making it as easy as we can for that to happen. But let me ask you a question. When was the last time that you walked into this church service and you thought to yourself, Kevin, I don't care if you're irreverent. Try to be funny if you can. Just be relevant. Don't be boring. Don't use churchy language. Because you had a friend coming for the first time. When was the last time you had a friend who was not a follower of Jesus coming to church for the first time? Because it changes everything. In that moment, you'll be saying, oh, I hope our our worshiping, I don't care if it's loud. I don't care if there's smoke. I don't care if there's lights. I hope our team explains the songs, explains communions, makes it personal, welcomes us into the process. I hope that Kevin and Ron are engaging and practical. I don't care about Greek and Hebrew. I want something that connects me to God and connects them to God. I want for you so deeply to know the thrill of being instrumental in someone's decision to follow Jesus by sitting down with them to have coffee, by inviting them to your community group, by inviting them to church. If we don't have these stories in our lives, the sad reality is church will become all about us. And we'll say things like, man, the Spirit was really moving today. But what we meant was, they played my favorite song. (laughs) We'll say things like, it was so cold in the auditorium. Can someone fix that, please? The music was too quiet. The music, no one ever says that. The music was too loud. I say that. I want it loud, baby. Pump it up. Here's the problem. If we lose sight of the fact that we are called to be spiritual contributors, not simply spiritual consumers, we get old, but not mature. And we start complaining about all the dumbest stuff. And I will not allow it in this church because God loves your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers and your kids. And we will do everything we can to be part of their story. And you get to be part of it. My third wish for you 
is the freedom and joy that comes from organizing your financial world around give, save, live. I have been talking about this for years. And I'm not talking about giving every once in a while. I'm talking about organizing your financial worlds around giving first, saving second, and living off the rest. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, this is just good advice. Generosity orients us to the world. Saving is important. And then living off the rest. But in order to do that, you need to have a giving plan. Very few of us, by the way, even have a spending plan. Do you know what a spending plan is called? It's called a budget. A budget. Very few of us have a spending plan, let alone a giving plan. If you don't have a spending plan, and you have more month left at the end of your money, we're offering this class in the fall called Financial Peace University. I can't encourage you strongly enough. Take it. But here's the cool thing. If you start with a giving plan, you'll end up with a spending plan. If you orient your life around giving towards the the things closest to God's heart, and then saving, and then spending, you'll end up with a plan. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is just good advice. But if you're a follower of Jesus, it goes one step further. Because Jesus says these radical words. He says, where your money is, your heart will follow. Do you want your money to be oriented towards people and the things closest to, or your heart to be towards people and the things closest to God? Move your money in that direction and watch your heart follow after it. Listen, if you've been a Christian for five years or more, and you don't have a giving plan, a plan to give to your local church, I just, I have to ask, are you reading Jesus? Because he talks about it a lot. And we can skip over it and minimize it, but eventually you're going to come face to face with it. And then you have to decide, what am I going to do? Because Jesus says, I can tell you where your heart is. If you show me your credit card statement, If you want your heart to be oriented towards Jesus, your finances need to go there first, and then your heart is the caboose of the train that follows. That got quiet there all of a sudden. Everybody liked those first couple parts. The reason I say everyone should have a plan, and it doesn't have to be exclusively to your local church. I think you should give generously to the things closest to God's heart, but at least part of that should be to your local church where your life is being transformed, where you're bringing your friends. Here's why. Because at some point, everyone's going to need their local church for comfort, for care, for hope. And finally, my wish for you. And by finally, I mean I've got about 15 more slides. Finally, my wish for you. (laughs) Someone better tell the kids' ministries we're going long. Um, It's that you would give yourself fully to God's vision to reach our community. Give yourself fully to God's vision to reach our community because I'm telling you at the end of your life, It will not matter how much money you had, how comfortable you were, how safe you felt. It will matter that you give yourself fully to the vision of God to reach this community. I I sat with a woman in our church as her mom took her last breaths this week. Her mom was a part of our church when she could be, when health took her away, she couldn't be. And we sat there and we sobbed and we prayed and it, it zeroed me in like nothing else on the fact that we get one shot at this life. One shot. And we owe it to Petaluma, Roner Park, Katadi, Sonoma, 
in Napa, and we owe it to ourselves, and we owe it to God to make it count. So we are about 19 months in to a three-part plan that God showed to me one night. I was at this conference, and I was praying and dreaming with God at about midnight. I just, my head was filled with all this stuff. I'm praying at this hotel room, dreaming at midnight about all the things that God might do in Sonoma County with a church like us. And um, it was so fun. We spent like two hours just thinking, and he was nudging, and so exciting. And then God whispered to me, you can't do any of it. I said, what are you talking about? Of course we can. He said, no. You have a a process to get from here to there. And you're dreaming about there, but there is about four years away. We need to start here and march to there. And that was the night that God kind of nudged me and showed me, and I brought our leadership team in, showed me a three-part plan. The first part is this. We needed to write our finances. We needed to write our finances. We were hindering ourselves from reaching our community, from caring for you, from serving our families because our finances were upside down, were a little bit backwards. And so last uh, fall, we started this two-year generosity uh, journey called Engage. And Engage was a two-year commitment where I asked you to commit for two years everything you want to give over the course of that two years. Write it down so that we know. And that'll cover our operating budget and beyond. And our commitment was $3.66 million over the course of two years. Friends, that's incredible. That is amazing. So yeah, you can clap about that. We're 10 months into a 24-month journey, and here's where we are so far. Our current fulfillment, $2.06 million in 10 months. That's incredible. That's amazing. In September, our loan matures, and so this gives us the opportunity to renegotiate our loan. This is part of fixing our finances, renegotiate our mortgage rates. And in September, we're going to have the opportunity to pay down $1.1 million of a $4.5 million debt. That is huge. Ten months into this journey. You should clap for this. This is a big deal. I'll tell you why in a minute. Because paying this down frees up $80,000 a year forever. And the more we pay down, the more money it frees up. And you know where that money's going? Ministry serving people, reaching our community, caring for the disenfranchised. That's where this money's going. So the first step, we had, to, we had to write our finances. We had to do it. Because of this, by the way, we're able to run our operating budget, move forward in ministries, start new partnerships just in the last 10 months. And we were able to set aside the money to get a new roof before Christmas, which means it's not going to rain on you anymore, which is great. Praise God. You should be clapping in this area, by the way. Like, that's, that's the splash zone back there. That's the accidental baptism corner, okay? So you should be happy. You guys were fine, but I appreciate your encouragement. These guys were getting wet. <laughs> Fix our roof. Pay down $1.1 million. Continue doing ongoing ministry and new ministries. It's been incredible. That was the first part, write our finances. The second part of this three-part plan, which we are in the process of doing right now, is reorganizing our staff and hiring new staff toward our vision. What's our vision? Well, it's to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus by creating a church where people who don't like church love to engage. We're trying to create a church for 
the 96% of people in Sonoma County who don't go to and don't like church. And you're thinking, but I like church. That's because you're here. (laughs) You're thinking, what about me? You you already like it. We're going to care for you, but you are a spiritual contributor, not a spiritual consumer. So you're going to be part of what God is doing in our world. So we've reorganized our staff. We're doing some hires. Here's some of the work we're doing. We're investing people and money in a strategic partnership with Young Life to reach junior high and high school students on the campuses. Not saying, come to us. We're going to them. We said, hey, if we invest a substantial amount to Young Life, would you bring Young Life to Petaluma? And the regional director said, what's substantial? And we gave him some numbers. And he said, we could work with that. And so they're coming. And this fall, we're going to be doing contact work onto campuses so that guys like me, guys like your kids, a little, I mean, I was a punk. I was a punk. I had bleached hair. I had a tongue ring. I had gauged ears. About 19, I started smoking. I was like, I dare you to talk to me. Listen, I would never have set foot inside your high school youth group. But when a few college guys and, and volunteers came to me on my campus, changed my life. It changed our church. If you like it, you should clap. We're going we're gonna to invest in next-gen, next-gen engagements. That's birth all the way up through high school. Rethinking the way we do next-gen. Just rethinking it. We've reorged our staff so that Angela Lamb is moved over to, she's our next-gen uh, engagement pastor. She is working to get not just a new curriculum, a new mindset about how to partner with you. Here's a crazy thing that I heard, and I might not get it exactly right, but I'm going to say it anyway because you get the idea. The idea is this. Um, you will have more time with your kids in the car this week than our church will have with them this year. So we're figuring out ways for you as parents to engage with your kids, to help them connect with God, giving you the tools you need, because it's not easy. I had a, a four-year-old ask me after I finished coaching my daughter's soccer practice, uh, Pastor Kevin, I was like, yes, sweetie, what's up? And she said, Pastor Kevin, um, if God created the world, who created God? And I thought, well, I, I know how to talk to a grown-up about that. I could tell you how God is pre-existent and he's the uncreated creator and do this whole thing with my hands or I'm making a house over that world. I looked at this four-year-old, and I was like, stumped me. I said, well, sweetie, we believe that God just kind of was before the world. She looked at me like, you must have heat stroke from soccer. (laughs) So here's what we're going to do, because it's hard. Like, I'm a pastor. I'm trained in how to answer that. I don't know how to talk to a four-year-old about it. We're going to give you age-specific answers to questions to help you connect with your kids. We're investing in community groups. For the first time ever, we put a full-time pastor over community groups. We're investing in the Sunday morning experience. We're going to be hiring some staff to make Sunday morning the best day of the week because we're not fighting against other churches to connect with people. We're fighting against football and sports and wine tasting and everything else in Sonoma County. That is awesome. So we need to invest here. And the third part of our plan It's to transform our facility to align with our vision. We want what it looks like out here to keep step with what we experience in here. Some of the things we're doing is we're going to be updating our next-gen areas, our lobby, and our auditorium space. 
we're going to be creating a next steps room so that when you walk out of here and you wonder, I want to make a decision to follow Jesus. I want to get involved somewhere. I want to be part of what God's doing. What's my next step? You would walk to a next steps room. You would be met by a person. You would be guided to your next step, and you would know what God has for you next. And we're going to fix and finish our roof and parking lot. That's sexy, baby. Roof and parking lot. I end with the big one. And so my wish, my wish is for you. Follow God's nudging in a costly act of obedience. I wish that for you because that's deep. That's where you get deep. Be part of someone's faith story because, oh, it's so good. It's so good. And then orient your finances around give, save, live. I want it for you because it's the best way for you to live. I want it for you because, listen, if you choose not to do this, you're going to get so frustrated with me over the next two years. And you're going to get so frustrated with our leadership and with our church because we're going to mess with everything. Because I love the way that Steve Jobs said it about Apple. He said, if someone's going to blow up Apple, it might as well be us. Listen, we need—the church is called the body of Christ. Bodies change. We're 20 years old. We should look different than we did when we were 10 and 15 and 20 and 25. We change. You know what you call a body that's not changing? You call it dead. So we're going to change and grow and develop and try. We're going to mess with your music. We're going to mess with lights. We're going to mess with sound. We're going to mess with your kids' rooms, the auditorium, the parking lot. We're going to mess with everything. And I want you to be part of it because it's a story that God is telling at this time in this community uniquely to reach Sonoma County. And I don't want you to miss it. I don't. And listen... I don't, want, I don't want you to sit in the chair like this, being like, how dare they mess with my stuff. It's not your stuff. And it's not my stuff. It's God's mission to the world. And we get to be part of it. I'm going to pray. Then I'm going to let you go. I'm going to hang out up here. I'm going to put some pillows on in case you try to throw things. If you have questions, come talk to me. Go get your kids because we held them over and they're holding our teachers hostage. So go get your kids. I'm going to pray. Next week, I'm starting a brand new series. If you're married, you're going to love this series. If you're single, the series is for you. If you're single again, the series is for you. The new rules of sex, love, and dating. If you have an elementary school student or a preschool student and they've never tried our our next-gen engagement, this is the series to do it, baby. Or you're going to have some fun talks when you get home. Let me pray for us. Let me pray for us. Jesus, would you use us? Would you, would you guide us to love everyone always and all we say, all we think, all we do, and how we give, and how we love, and how we serve? God, would you use us? We are new life. Would you use us to do something unique in Sonoma County, to reach this community that you love so deeply with your transforming love? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good one. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.